This is Audio Insights from Route Consultant. This community of contractors is always on the go, so we've created a resource to move with you. Join me, Spencer Patton, as I talk with my team, fellow contractors, and vendors about our industry. There's a quick disclaimer I need to read. Route Consultant is not endorsed by and is not recommended by Federal Express Corporation and FedEx Ground. Route Consultant is not sponsored by, is not approved by, is not associated with, and has no connection whatsoever with Federal Express Corporation or FedEx Ground. Hey, Spencer. We're back on the podcast and diving into another great topic today. It's good to talk with you, Kylie. Today, we're going to dive into potential threats to an investment in FedEx routes. These are questions we get asked every week, and we're addressing them here in one place. Ready to get started? Yep, let's dive in. All right. So we absolutely cannot have this conversation without talking about Amazon. Let's start with a big elephant in the room. Is Amazon a threat to an investment in FedEx routes? Yeah. So Kyla, you can probably imagine that I get this question about 55 times a week. (laughs) Is All right. (laughs) I understand this FedEx thing. I understand the e-commerce space, but what about the boogie monster that is Amazon and how they're impacting the space? So I have a lot to say about this, and I think we can take it from a handful of different perspectives. Uh, First and foremost, I have a lot of connections and friends that are Amazon DSPs. So uh, we've got great insight into what's going on in the Amazon space. It is incredible to observe a business model that Amazon is creating, but one importantly, that is so distinct from what we do as FedEx contractors. And I know that may be surprising at first of saying, well, Spencer, don't you both deliver boxes? And while fundamentally that concept is true, that's about the last similarity we share. (laughs) Most everything else is different. So what I want to do over the course of of this podcast and certainly the first half here is that we're going to spend a lot of time drawing out some of the nuances between being an Amazon DSP and being a FedEx ground contractor and all the different pieces and parts that I think are important to highlight. Okay. So let me start with a couple that we'll have as the overarching pieces. And then, Kylie, you can just kind of ask questions and dig into pieces as, as we go through this. Is First and foremost, Amazon delivers a very different type of package than what FedEx Ground is seeking to deliver. So FedEx Ground, being a publicly traded company, posts their margins, And we know that FedEx Ground makes incredible margins on their oversized and incompatible packages. Those are the packages that are your non-square shaped. They don't go down a conveyor belt very easily. We do a ton of sets of four tires and lawn chairs and trampolines and mattresses and rugs and just everything that, Kylie, you wouldn't want to have to carry (laughs) up a third floor walk up at an apartment. (laughs) That's what we do. Amazon is so opposite. Amazon wants to deliver the shoebox size packages and smaller. And most package delivery companies want to be in that space, the small package side, because dealing with the big uglies, they're tough. (laughs) They don't fit very easily in trucks and they're heavy and all sorts of challenges that come along with the weight of those packages. So 
it's important to understand that FedEx Ground has created a really effective moat to their space by focusing on large and oversized packages. And that will continue to be a theme in the years ahead versus the Amazon side, which is focusing on smaller boxes and really utilizing the spaces of those boxes. It's why if you go on Amazon, you don't find that they sell a lot of big items there. They sell lots of small items, but you really can't go on Amazon and buy the big stuff at any type of effective pricing strategy. And Amazon's focused on delivering their own packages, right? That's exactly right. So Amazon, the threat that people are afraid of is, well, what happens when Amazon comes and tries to take market share from FedEx? So remember fundamentally what FedEx Ground does is that if you want to ship any random thing, You take it to a FedEx Kinko's, or if you're a business, you have FedEx come and pick it up. Whereas Amazon is selling products on their their website and storing products in their warehouse. If you're not doing one of those two things, you can't ship with Amazon. And Amazon is a solid five years away from being able to just deliver their own stuff. If you look at industry trends and any analysts that stay up late at night and think about these things, <laughs> the analysts will tell you that there is a massive road ahead for Amazon to get to the point where they're covering all of their own deliveries. So when you think about threat assessments in a business like this one, our threat assessment for Amazon is not only more than five years into the future, But Amazon would have to evolve and change their business model to where they were shipping something that was not sold on their website and not stored in their warehouse. And that is a complete strategic shift from where they've been right now. It's not to say that it can't happen. It's not to say that I guarantee it won't happen. But I feel confident in saying it's not going to be within the next five years. And when you're talking about threat assessment for longer than five years in a business that's growing as rapidly as e-commerce, it it might as well be 50 years away. It it just is a worthless exercise to spend time trying to see more than five years into the future as it relates to Amazon strategy, FedEx's strategy, and all the ways that e-commerce is going to change in the years ahead. Okay. And you mentioned up top that you have multiple friends that are Amazon DSPs. So could you dig in a little bit more to what that model means and also maybe why you don't currently own and operate Amazon routes? So this is an important one to get in that there is a concept known as equity, which is when you have ownership in your business. So when you are buying FedEx routes, you are buying a contract that offers you the opportunity to either deliver packages in an area, or if you're buying one of the 18-wheeler contracts, you are carrying a trailer from point A to point B and back again. But in either case, you have ownership in something that someone else can't come and take away from you as long as you're in good standing with FedEx Ground. Amazon, there's no such thing as equity. You are not given a territory you're not given assurances on your revenue, you are effectively day-to-day and week-to-week with Amazon. Now, Amazon does want to protect its contractors insofar as protecting its contractors serves its best interest. But we have seen, if you look in the brief history of Amazon, there's kind of a checkered past. There have been times where Amazon has wholesale dismissed contractors and not necessarily provided a great reason why. 
So Amazon, the way to think about it is it's kind of like a high paying job. You don't have anything that you have equity in. It's just effective compensation. But on the FedEx side, you not only have the benefits of a high paying business, you have a business, you have equity and something that can appreciate over time. So a really important distinction to understand between what you're buying in the FedEx space and what you have, or at least what you're loaning perhaps on the Amazon side. That's a great point. And while we're on the topic of other logistics providers, are there other companies that potential investors need to keep an eye on? What about UPS and DHL or these startups like Uber Connect? It's such a fun space to be a part of. I mean, this is that, so the inner free market capitalist in me just loves to see how the market responds to changing market dynamics that are, are literally on a day-by-day and week-by-week basis. It's, it's just amazing to see the market shift to try to accommodate just the relentless demand for delivery <laughs> in the e-commerce side. I mean, literally the bedrock of our nation's retail economy is changing. And, and it's kind of like you've seen in videos, perhaps, like when an iceberg kind of cleaves and turns upside down. I mean, we are literally watching the cleaving of our U.S. retail economy in front of our very eyes. And, and we're seeing it at the hands of these e-commerce providers. And, and we are one of those. So the thing to understand about e-commerce is that e-commerce is a broad term. There are so many different winding pathways that make up different types of e-commerce. So there's e-commerce for small boxes and medium boxes and large boxes and freight. And there are reverse logistics that you have to take into account. And there's different types of labor pools that support different types of e-commerce. And uh, there are time-sensitive deliveries, and we're talking about food and temperature-sensitive deliveries. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but the thing that I want you to understand is there is a lot of pie for everybody to be able to eat in the e-commerce <laughs> space. So are there competitors? Absolutely. Are there room for lots of competitors to all win? Absolutely. I think we will only really see the settling of scores from a competitive standpoint once e-commerce stops growing. I think when e-commerce kind of finally jumps the shark and says it is as good as it has ever been, and now e-commerce is going to start having significantly moderating growth rates, only then do I think you will start to have some intense competitive dynamics that make the winners get separated from the losers. But you know, Warren Buffett has one of my favorite sayings on this is that you only know who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's true right now. I mean, the tide is coming in and, and water is 10 feet high and you can only see up to the necks of everybody that's out there. And so to kind of abuse that analogy some, the idea is just that rising revenues hide a lot of sins. And we're going to have rising revenues for at least the next decade. I, I don't care who you are or what your opinion about U.S. retail sales are. We are in the early innings of the transition from your typical brick and mortar retail and your malls and all of those soon to be obsolete dinosaurs. That transition is still young. And I think the 
competitive landscape is one that's very favorable for FedEx and that they've been doing this since the 1980s. They really understand the landscape and they have succeeded pre-internet. I mean, just some amazing transitions that they have survived. So I'm excited to be a part of this group. That's right. Well, let's transfer our attention to potentially disruptive innovations, starting with drones. I know you love this question, <laughs> but are drone deliveries the future of logistics? <laughs> I do love this question. So I love to fly drones. I have a drone here at the office. They're, they're a lot of fun. But I'll say this, the best argument against drones, at least for package delivery, is a five-minute tour through any FedEx ground facility. A far more appropriate method of delivery would be an Apache helicopter rather than a drone. The weight of the packages, the size of the packages. In general, most FedEx facilities cover about 150 air miles around them, meaning if you drew a straight line as the crow flies in every direction around the terminal, about 150 miles is a good average. Now, there are some terminals that do way less than that, and there are some terminals that do more, but that's a good average to think about. So when you think about a drone flying a singular box up to 150 air miles away and back, to make a singular delivery, it just is so far away from reality. There's weather complications, like cardboard boxes don't tend to do well in the rain. And I'll say this too. So Kylie, I'm here in Nashville and all of you all listening, you all have some rural parts of your state too, okay? So this comment that I'm about to say, you can't make this just a Tennessee <laughs> thing, but one of the best dreams of some 15-year-old guy or girl here in Tennessee is that there would be a unmarked, unnamed drone that would fly over our farmland. And you want to talk about target practice flying over the land, you shoot that thing. And what's amazing is if you hit it, you get a prize, right? You get the box of whatever it was carrying. So uh, I know all of you all have some parts of your state too, that would be in that way. But I, I'll say drones are a long ways away. There's a lot of complications to it. Again, do drones have a place in e-commerce? Absolutely. Do they have any place at all in the segment of e-commerce that we do? I really think it's a, a long ways away, if not multiple decades from a reality. It's a really fun answer, but an important point. So um, <laughs> autonomous vehicles is another innovation we get a lot of questions about. So how do you think about autonomous vehicles in the context of this investment? So autonomous vehicles are closer. I'll say that. They're not close. I just think they're closer maybe more so in the line haul world, the 18-wheeler side, than the pickup and delivery side. So we're already seeing some autonomous vehicles over in Europe where the 18-wheelers will caravan on their interstate systems, the equivalent of that over in Europe. And the, the tractors communicate via Bluetooth and they literally stay just mere inches from one another going highway speeds. And they make sure that no one can cut in front of them because they stay so close together. And then the 18 wheelers get to their final destination and they effectively pull over on what we know to be the shoulder of our, of our interstate. And then a real human can get in and drive it the last handful of miles and bring it off the interstate and make the final delivery. So, what we've seen from FedEx Ground is when there have been significant technological innovations, and this is true on safety, this is true in a legal capacity, all sorts of different things that have required its contractors to adapt. 
FedEx Ground has never come to the contractors and said, you know what, thank you for your service contractors. Now that we have these autonomous vehicles, you can move along, we no longer need you. Instead, what we've seen is that FedEx Ground has given a deadline of adoption. So they've said, you have to be using this new technology by a certain point. And so while I don't speak for FedEx Ground, that is certainly what I would say history has shown that FedEx Ground has made those choices and I think would be likely in the future is that when and if autonomous vehicles become prevalent, we will see some type of deadline of saying, you have to adopt this technology by X date. It's not something where I believe FedEx Ground says, okay, we're going to bring this internal because FedEx Ground is not anywhere close to being able to do something like that for themselves. So the fleet management, all the vehicles that they would have to buy, tens or hundreds of thousands of vehicles, all of the corporate administrative staff that they'd have to hire. There's a reason why they don't do that now, and it's because we do it. So I, I just don't see any threat to it. I think it's something that when it's here, we'll be given the opportunity to adopt it. I think on the pickup and delivery side, it's a long ways away. You're still going to need a human in those delivery vehicles, even if they're driving themselves, to be able to make the deliveries, get signatures, navigate stairs, navigate all kinds of challenging terrain and critical decision making. There's a lot of pieces that make that far away. Okay. Electric vehicles are an innovation where there might be an even closer timeline than drones and autonomous vehicles. So can you talk about how electric vehicles are currently viewed in the FedEx space and what you're seeing going on? So FedEx Ground corporately came out and said that by 2040, they're going to be an all-electric fleet, uh, which means that we at Ground are going to be an all-electric fleet by 2040. And that's a pretty ambitious goal. So I'm interested to see how that's going to transpire. There are already right now a couple facilities that are in pilot programs with FedEx Ground that are completely electrified. So they have the ability to charge. There are electric vehicles running there. I have friends of mine that are contractors that are doing that right now. And the early reviews of the program is it's very successful. You've got to have the right routes for it. So you can't have very high mileage routes and you've got to have the right charging infrastructure inside the terminals. And when you think about it from an engineering perspective, that's a huge feat. Most terminals have anywhere from 150 to 300 vehicles inside of them. So when you talk about charging those vehicles simultaneously, that's a massive engineering undertaking because of the load that that puts on the electric grid. You've got to really plan long ahead for that. So I think there's things that electric vehicles offer a lot of promise and they're closer than what you think. I think the main things that we've got to observe is number one, how quickly can we build out a charging network? I think that's, a, that's an important mindset. FedEx Ground is going to have substantial CapEx that they have to internally do in order to make those charging stations a reality. And then number two is we've got to talk about the cost of the vehicles themselves. Some states have heavy subsidies for electric vehicles. Some federal subsidies have existed in the past and they come and they go with time. So in order to really have widespread adoption of commercial electric vehicles, which are hundreds of thousands of dollars unsubsidized, you're going to have to see states or the federal government offer massive subsidies or we're just going to have to wait until the manufacturing becomes so mainstream that the cost of manufacturing the vehicles comes way down because it's it's completely uneconomical right now. There's, there's no argument to be had there. 
So I think the summary on electric vehicles is I'm excited about them. I will be an early adopter when there is the capability of doing so. But there are political dynamics in sway here. And there's also engineering dynamics in sway that are going to move this timeline forward or back, depending upon what transpires over the next two decades. Okay. And as we wrap up, I'd love to know if there are other potential threats to this investment that you're thinking about and you're monitoring going forward. Part of my job, Kylie, is to always be on the ramparts and be looking. <laughs> so <laughs> I am always looking at uh, joint employment issues. You know, we are 1099 contractors to FedEx Ground, and that's an important part of the model. I, I'm looking at safety issues. So we use FedEx Ground's Department of Transportation number, and that's something that is a significant advantage for us versus any other transportation provider is that we do not have to have our own DOT number. So there's some really significant things that are out there. None of them are, are structural risks that I think I would say you really have to have a vantage point on this before you make a decision. But I think there's just things to monitor. So part of my job is to be on the ramparts looking out for those things. And I want you to stay connected via our podcasts and webinars and all of those things. And as I see those things approaching, I will call those out and make sure that everybody sees them coming from a long ways away. But right now, I think this is just one of the best times that we have seen for e-commerce. And I think it will remain so in, in the years ahead. There are always missiles that can come out of nowhere in order to be able to disrupt any business. But I love in this business that we don't have to worry about being out innovated, that we don't have some new mousetrap that's going to get invented for how to deliver boxes. Because at the end of the day, you still got to warehouse the boxes, you got to sort the boxes, you got to deliver the boxes. And, and so there's just some fundamental physical realities that we still have to play within. And I like being a business in that space because this is a space that's going to grow and do really well in the years ahead. And it's a fun time to get to see it. Awesome, Spencer. You mentioned our webinars and our podcast. How else can current contractors and prospective investors connect with us? So we do live events all the time. So we do weekly webinars where I do a webinar every Wednesday that has open question and answer. So if you have been listening to our podcast or seen our YouTube content, I do a live webinar for about an hour and 15 minutes every Wednesday that I teach a little bit for 10 or 15 minutes. And then it is open questions for anything that you'd like to learn about the FedEx space for about an hour. So definitely invite you to join us at one of those. If you go to routeconsultant.com, uh, we have an events button at the top that you'll learn about that. And there's also all sorts of content in our what we call our FedEx 101 course, which is under our resources button. So we try to make a lot of content out there, all of it for free whenever we can possibly justify it. If you reach out to our team, we'd be happy to help you. We've got some 40 full-time employees that are eager to help you in this journey. So lots of ways to engage with our team. We'll meet you more than halfway to help teach you what you need to know about being a contractor to FedEx Ground. All right. Well, thanks again, Spencer, and looking forward to talking more in our next episode. All right. Thank you, Kylie.